welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. My name is Mike. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'm grateful to be here sober tonight through God's grace and all of you people. And welcome. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had Thanksgiving dinner at my house for the first time. My whole family came. And... Uh, I figured I should say something before we all ate, but I knew there were lots of things going on in the family, so I didn't know quite what to say. So I said, you're welcome to be here as you are. If you're excited to be here at my house for Thanksgiving, you're, you're welcome. And if you wish you weren't here, <laughs> but you're just here because this is where Thanksgiving is this year, you're welcome. And um, if you're somewhere in the middle of all that, you're welcome. And I thought I did fairly well, and one of my brothers came up and gave me a big hug, and I thought, well, it must have really been a great speech. And my other brother stormed by me with this look like he'd kill me. Uh, so I don't know if it's uh, going to work or not, but uh, welcome as, as you are. Um, maybe newly sober, maybe not sober, uh, maybe uh, dragged by a husband or a wife. Um, Maybe ten years sober and happy, joyous, and free, and, and probably for many of us somewhere in the middle. Welcome. Um, I want to dedicate my remarks today to Catherine Waltz, my great aunt who died last week. And I want to say to her, Slanawalia Jis Moirit, which is simply, we'll meet again, God and Mary be with you in Irish. Um, I was in Ireland when my aunt died in Oregon. And uh, I was in the house that her mother left over a hundred years ago. A house, uh, I'm not good at space, but uh, a very small house that, that raised seven children. Um, and I'm grateful for the pioneering effort of the people who came before me uh, that allowed me to live in this place, including uh, my Aunt Honeywell. I want to thank my wife and my son say that I love them and I miss them, and I want to thank all the SA members in this room and not in this room who've helped me get and stay sober, and I want to say sincerely uh, that any harm I may have caused anyone in this program or Essanon, uh, I'm sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. What have I discovered in recovery? I'll start with a few random thoughts. One, that I'm a sexaholic, and two, that I'm sober. Never one or the other. Never either or for me today, but both and. I am a sexaholic, and I am sober. I was in a swimming pool in March. I went on a little weekend getaway with my wife and my son. And the first night I was in the swimming pool was a rather typical night in the swimming pool for me. I spent about 80% of the time under the water praying with my eyes closed. Which was good enough, because I stayed sober. And the next day, Saturday, was a very different day. 
many of the same people appeared to be out wearing pretty much the same garb, it being a swimming pool. And um, I prayed once, and I helped my son learn how to swim for two hours without lust, without having to run from lust, without having to dive under the pool and pray. It was the first time in ten years that I really knew I was sober. I'm sober today. But I am a sexaholic. I've been trying to make friends with women. I made a friend in another fellowship. And one day I found that friend touching me in ways that uh, I'm sure were intended to be friendly, <laughs> but I didn't know what to make of them. And, uh, and I won't go into the detail except to say I needed to uh, cut short certain aspects of that friendship uh, real quick with a lot of mixed feelings. And, and to take a look at, with the help of, of some people in Sexaholics Anonymous, um, what had been going on beyond friendship, uh, not so much in my behavior, but in my mind. Um, so I am sober, and I am a sexaholic, and that's one of the things I've discovered in recovery. I've discovered for me that in the many arguments I've had over the years uh, in Sexaholics Anonymous with members about, you know, uh, do we have to be absolutist on things or, or more moderate? Do we have to strike a balance or do we have to draw a line in the sand? I've discovered for me that it's, again, both and, not either or. That for me, I have to be absolute about some things in Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, no sex outside of marriage, including with self. That's an absolute for me in Sexaholics Anonymous. It's not something I want to be moderate about. It's not something I want to find any balance about. It's just the way it is. I draw a line in the sand, I don't cross it. Now, how to do that, how to stay sober, how to be in recovery, there I find um, myself a little more wary of absolute thinking because I see lots of people stay sober in lots of different ways. One of those has to do with marriage. There was a recent article in the essay about abstinence in marriage. I thought it was a pretty good article, but I wanted to write another one. Maybe I will. And the title would be Sex in Marriage. Not either or, but both and. I've had celibacy in my marriage with, with my wife. I've also had sex. And at different times, I've needed both. What I've found is that because sex in my marriage today is lust-free over 90-some percent of the time, that my sexual relationship with my wife no longer covers defects, but exposes them, because there's two real human beings in the room. Sex is not the enemy for me today. Lust is the enemy. I've also discovered that for me, SA works best when it's a 12-step program. Nothing more and nothing less. It's not a religion. It's also not a therapy group. And there's lots of stuff that religion does that I need in my life. And there's lots of stuff that therapy does that I and other people may or may not need in their life. And I'm all for all of it. But Sexaholics Anonymous is a 12-step program for sex drunks who desperately need to get sober. And when I remember that and when my group remembers that, things seem to go better. Those are some of the things that I've discovered in recovery.
My early years of sobriety, I would call rather strict. No sexual fantasy of any kind. Constant prayer, probably a hundred and powerless over lust, God help me, a day. Some limited sexual thoughts I might occasionally allow about my wife. All others were banished. Even the thoughts about my wife were scrupulously observed to examine the percentage of lust content in them. No R-rated movies, no X-rated movies. And those movies rated lower than that uh, had to be reviewed by my movie reviewer. A gentleman in AA named Bob A. reviews my movies for me and just simply says without giving me any detail, yes or no. No friendship with women, with very few exceptions in the first seven or eight years of my recovery, and all the, all the exceptions were women in SA with long-term sobriety. Strict sponsorship. If someone wanted me to be their sponsor, there was very little gray. There were a lot of black and a lot of white. I remember saying in a meeting when someone announced that they had started a new type of SA meeting for a certain type of, of group that I won't get into. I remember saying in all my young sureness, sounds really interesting, but it's not an SA meeting. Well, we lost five or six members on that one. <laughs> um, I would describe my first six or seven years as tight. Necessarily so, because I was a sex drunk, and I didn't know how to stay sober, and I had to stay sober, and I desperately wanted to stay sober. I didn't ask any questions about why I was a sex drunk, where it came from, whether or not I'd ever, you know, get any uh, less amounts of lust. I just knew what I had to do when I got lust, and that's what I did. That was my foundation. That's still my foundation. Uh... And now, what am I? I'm 10 years sober as of June 3rd, 1984. And I um, have changed a little bit my approach to my recovery. Sometimes with uh, results, like I mentioned about this one gal in the AA meeting, um, sometimes with not very good results, and other times with some reasonably good results. Sometimes today I can appreciate a beautiful woman without lust. Sometimes. Today, uh, in that same AA meeting I mentioned, Another gal uh, has become a really good friend of mine, uh, and it's a miracle because I didn't—I just didn't have any woman friends, and I have a few today. And some of them work out the way I thought they would when I first uh, said hello. Um, I have more trust in my prayer today. Sometimes I'm a little less superstitious and a little less ritualistic. And I'm really believing that maybe there's a God listening to me and it's not the way I say it or how I say it or how many times I say it or the things I think about when I say it, but that there's a God who's coming right into the middle of my lust when I surrender it to him. Today I'm confident that my marriage bed is free from lust and I'm free to be with my wife most of the time. My wife invited me to a couple movies. I saw them both without permission of my movie reviewer because I figured my wife kind of had priority. 
They were fine. They were about men and women and relationships and love. Um, but they weren't pornographic. They weren't explicit. They weren't provocative. They weren't pandering. They weren't, in my Irish Catholic opinion, immoral. And, uh, and I learned a lot. And they were good for me. And they were good for my wife. So I'm still pretty strict on the essentials, but I'm less sure I know a lot of the other answers. I'm a little less tight, a little more relaxed, and I think a little more able to be of use in a service. I'm not dangerous today. I'm not dangerous to women, and I'm not dangerous to myself. I can be. It could happen. I was once. I could be again tomorrow. To be honest, I could be 15 minutes, I could walk out this door and somebody could say boo to me in a way that I didn't quite like and I, I could get dangerous quick. <laughs> but by and large, today, I'm not dangerous. And I'm finding that most women aren't dangerous either. And that those that are dangerous for me, whether it be my problem or theirs, um, I can pray for and walk away from. I make mistakes, but when lust comes up, I surrender. And by and large, I find myself moving toward the world rather than away from it today. I ask questions today. I ask, why am I a sexaholic? I say, can I get beyond lust and surrender and get freedom from lust so that I don't have to pray a hundred times a day because I'm not lusting a hundred times a day? And some days it happens and I think, yes. Other days it doesn't happen and I'm not so sure. But the journey is worth it for me. I'm be beginning to be able to discern for myself what I believe to be right and good and what I believe to be wrong. To turn away from something, yes, because I'm a sexaholic, but also because I'm moral. And this behavior or that attitude or this desire is not in keeping with my dignity or with whatever woman might, might be in the picture at that time. And sometimes it's the behavior of a particular woman that's not in keeping with my dignity or my need for privacy or my boundaries. And I'm learning that today. And sometimes saying, yeah, that's evil. And I just choose the good. And I have that power today through the grace of God in Sexaholics Anonymous. So I'm moving forward. I'm not going back. I'm never going back. Say a little more about my marriage. Known my wife for 16 years. Dated her just about all of those. She's been married uh, almost 10 years. My sexual relationship with her prior to our marriage, I would describe as angry, demanding, 100% uh, initiated by me. At times abusive. Then I found program. Celibacy period. Best thing that ever happened to either one of us. Finding ways to be together, to talk, to touch, without sex, without lust. Marriage. Trying to establish a sexual relationship in marriage. Resentment, anger, demand, push. A lot of push. Come on, come on, come on. Push. Lust, fantasy. 
Somewhere early on, a lot of the direct lusting, the fantasizing about other people went away, but there was still a lot of push and a lot of demand and a lot of anger. And we did something about five years back. We relived our history together. We went back to all the neighborhoods and places that we had dated from the time that we were 22 years old together. We went back to those places and had dinner and talked about what it was like to be together then what worked, what didn't, what still hurt, what had healed, what still needed to heal. I found it excruciating. I never liked these places much anyway. (laughs) But I also found it very healing. And something began to change. Occasionally my wife showed some interest in making love. I, who had been demanding this for 15 some years, I don't know, uh, never knew quite what to do when I finally got what I wanted and usually ran the other way. What? Um, a couple of years ago, the Lent was upon us and we talked about doing a celibacy period for Lent. And we had a couple discussions about it and it was kind of weird, like, I knew something was going on, but I, I didn't know what it was. And, and I could tell my wife knew something was going on, and I don't know if she knew what it was. And, and finally, we both just started laughing together. And I don't know who said it first, but one of us just said, we don't want to do a celibacy period. If it works, don't fix it. And it was working. We were together, able to be sexual together, without lust, without anger, without demands, without pressure, without pushing. I don't want to paint a picture that it is or was perfect, only that it was basically healing, healthy, and whole. There was no secret evil hiding underneath the pillow. There was no lust that needed to be torn out. This is me and this gal, Kathy, that I had married ten years ago. We stop and we talk. We stop and we pray whenever things come up. And then there even came a day when I thought, you know, if you pray before you start, God's already here. So I don't pray as much in the middle anymore. I don't talk so much either. A year ago, my wife's father died. He spent two weeks in intensive care. It was the most painful two weeks I remember spending since my father died. And for two weeks, I found myself able on a daily basis to be with my wife and her family. I hate doctors. I hate medicine. I'm terrified. I don't think I've been in a hospital since they took me out at two days old or whatever. Um, one of the reasons my father died when he did is because, you know, he thought Rolaids was the cure for a heart attack. And um, I follow in the grand tradition. So um, it was really hard to be around. And uh, I got the power and the strength to be there. And I found myself asking doctors questions. And I couldn't believe it. Particularly since I have a tendency to pass out when anyone says the word blood. And um, I did. I passed out right in front of this doctor. And the nurse got me some water. And I drank the water. 
And I stood back up and I started asking him questions about my father-in-law whose life was being extended senselessly. And I was man enough to say, no, that's not going to go on anymore. We lost a baby two months ago. We had an ectopic pregnancy. I say we, my wife had an ectopic pregnancy and I was along for the ride. And uh, again, it was a very painful experience and it, and it surprisingly to me raised uh, questions about my recovery. And I know intellectually today that it had nothing to do with my recovery, but I said, well, maybe sex is evil. Because my wife is a sick girl, and my baby's dead. And, uh, and then maybe I did it. And I was able to talk to members of my family, members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and members of Sexaholics Anonymous, who've become my best friends over the last 10 or 12 years, and talked through some of that with my wife, able to name my child, able to name godparents in heaven for my child, with this woman, Kathy, that I love. Last thing I want to say is about the 12 steps. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to sexaholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, I really, uh, I, I was at my meeting Wednesday night and I noticed there were six people in the room that I was sponsoring. And I thought, that's pretty good. But for a few years there, I just wasn't really sponsoring many people. Um, I was in a real, like I say, a real tight place and I, I, I was afraid to get too close to the, the sick and suffering sexaholic lest I relapse. I mean, this is seven and eight years into recovery. And somehow in the last two years, I, I've begun to reach out again uh, and to spend a lot of time both with people with, you know, a year and two and three years behind them dealing with the issues that come up then and with newcomers trying to get and stay sober. It started because I, I was sick of a guy in our meeting. I may have told the story before. And I took him out to lunch to basically read him the riot act and hope that he'd disappear. And I got done and he said, you're absolutely right, be my sponsor. <laughs> it was a great learning experience. <laughs> this is not exactly what I, you know, and I didn't say yes right away either, but uh, after some prayer and meditation, it was fairly clear that having told him what he should do, not being willing, willing to help him do it, somehow not uh, quite right. So uh, so I've, I've talked to this guy just about every day since <laughs> for the last year. Got far more than I bargained for. And it's been great. It's been a great experience to work with this gentleman and, and other people in Sexaholics Anonymous. Uh, I, find, I find myself renewed in my recovery Reminded that to keep this, I have to give it away. Um, help as much as I'm helping. Uh, not so afraid. Uh, I'm convinced. You know, and I think it's taken me a long time on, on the deepest level to really be convinced of two things. Number one, that I'm really sober. And number two, that Sexaholics Anonymous works. I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.